message, then um, this just might not be the right church for you. <laughs> this is not a very offensive message today. In fact, <laughs> I think you're <laughs> that actually mean that I'm accidentally going to offend somebody. Um, no, I'm uh, I'm really excited to share with you guys some things that the Lord's been putting on my heart recently. It's been a really powerful few weeks of just being with him for me uh, and for Kindle as well. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun because some of the things, the practical things that we've had going on in our lives recently, uh, just the day-to-day, week-to-week work stuff, relationship stuff, marriage stuff, I mean, just money stuff, everything has been not necessarily all resolved in the physical right now, but in the Holy Spirit, it's been resolved because of just the way that we've been with him. Did y'all love Thursday night? That's how it was supposed to, that's what it looks like to meet with Jesus right there. That was an amazing time. And um, that was one of those things. There are many different types of ways that we pray, right? As Christians, as those who follow Messiah, Yeshua, there are many different types of ways that you can pray. And that was one of those face-to-face nights where you get to hear more from him than, than he hears from you. And it's sweet to just slow down enough that you don't stir the air with too many words, right? And that you get to hear from him. And then we go into a bold proclamation uh, prophetically of victory and intercession for our lost family members and our friends who we love that just don't know him yet or those who are entrapped in their sin. That's whenever we can get busy with shouts of prophetic praise and thanksgiving even before we see it happen. Um, So over the last few weeks, there have been some really sweet subjects that have been covered, right? Pastor Mike um, shared with us a few weeks ago. It's been like four weeks since I've shared anything up here. It's pretty exciting because um, the pastors over these last few weeks have um, have shared with you the things that I, I, if you look at it from a bird's eye view, there's an awesome picture that's being um, that's being made, and it's that we've been speaking about inheritance for a few months now, uh, not inheritance like, you know, your grandma passed away and she gave you you know, $3,000 in a bank account kind of inheritance. We're talking about an inheritance that could be finances. It could be uh, talent. It could be gifts. It could be gifts in the Holy Spirit. It could be resources, your time, your energy, your devotion. It's that inheritance that Jesus shares with you that is rightly his. He shares with all of us, and he looks to us to say, yes, Jesus, we take ownership of this too, just like you. We take ownership of this earth just like you took ownership of this earth, right? Is that not what we were called to do since Genesis 1? Yeah. God designed us to be stewards of his creation. From the very beginning, he designed us to be stewards of his creation, to magnify his presence every single place that we go and to be literally like a standard, not like a measurement standard but like a flag raised up in the air saying this is this is all his right this is what our lives are supposed to represent and pastor mike shared with you about what it's like to wrestle with god to wrestle with his word and to come out the other end impacted by him and that he's a big god 
he, he, he doesn't get offended or hurt when you wrestle with him, right? He doesn't get hurt whenever you go out in the woods and you shout. You're like, Lord, I do not understand what you're doing. I do not understand what you're doing with my life. My fear and my anxiety has completely gripped my life. And I don't know what to do next. Not only is he not offended by that, it's oftentimes he meets you in those moments where you're just genuine enough to let it out. He knows what's going on inside of you. You do not scare him. I promise. Pastor Mike already taught you that weeks ago. Pastor Landon also shared with you about How'd you say it? Ain't no satisfaction. Can't, can't get no satisfaction. Yeah, can't get no satisfaction, right? It's when we're talking about inheritance and then we're talking about coming into contact and union with God and then recognizing that there's something in us just can't seem to be satisfied to the point that we might be right there, one generation off from the first creation and then already have murder in our hearts for our brother because of that dissatisfaction that's in there. You see how this is, this is moving along, right? We've been sharing a big picture concept about what it is to be a steward of his kingdom, a steward of his inheritance right here on the earth in this age, not waiting to die and go to heaven and then death be your savior, but Jesus be your savior today and then you represent him today. And now we're moving through all the details of what it looks like to actually be able to get up and do that. Isn't that exciting? I want to start with you today out of a personal favorite. Um, Y'all go ahead and start turning to John 15. (laughs) Y'all didn't know if I was going to say 15, 16, or 17. One of the great, or I'm sorry, one of the regular setbacks in my mind and my heart that I've encountered on the back end of any great encounter with him, like Thursday, or like what I've had just day to day to day over these past few weeks for me, is the thought, well, what about the work? Or what about the works, right? Kendall and I are very, very task-oriented, goal-oriented, productive productivity driven people like we want to see results like we're going to get to work and we want to see results we're going to get to work and you and we want to see results dang it like like this is like this is a mentality that uh we can so easily uh fall into and in a lot of ways in the kingdom it can be an admirable characteristic when it's submitted under christ Uh, but oftentimes in my life i let it get the best of even my faith and then it becomes more work than it does than it is about faith at the end of the day. I am one of the more goal-oriented, driven people that I know. Depending on the day, my wife or a few others here, and I could compete for the most driven person in the realm of works. And for me, when I consider the vision he has given, it only gets stronger. When I think about what he has spoken over this land, over each one of your lives, when I see the way that your lives have been changed in his presence, and by his scriptures, and by his people, I only get more excited to get up. I'm like, people tease me all the time. I think somebody said it. It might have been Ashton or Allie or somebody the other day. They're like, man, when you sit down with Casey at midnight, you're not leaving until 4 a.m. Like, because I'm excited. I, I cannot, I have 
kingdom FOMO. Like, like I, I don't want to miss a moment. We're going to sleep, and in the twinkle of an eye, we will be with him, and then we'll be in the ruling and reigning part. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to miss a moment in this age. Well, in this part of, uh, of eternity, I don't want to miss a moment of it. And so whenever I'm meeting with folks and, and it's a late night or like I don't have trouble getting up in the morning, being excited to go do what God's given me to do. Usually I'm not totally in, unsusceptible to it, but I, it's pretty it's pretty rare. I have a vision from the Lord. He's given us corporately direction and vision, and it's seriously exciting to me. And at the same time, I'm having to learn what it is to be inspired and driven by the right things so that productivity is according to his measure and purpose, right? Not only in me, but in every person who is impacted by my life, even just by proximity. Maybe you don't consider me a pastor. Maybe you don't consider me one who disciples. Maybe our relationship just isn't that close. I doubt it. I pretty stinking close with every one of you in here but at the end of the day just by the just by how the holy spirit is working in me and in every person in this room i want it to be driven by the right things i want to start with explaining that the work he has given us to do is of utmost importance because in john 4:33 it says so the disciples were saying to one another no one brought him anything to eat did, did he Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. It is clear there is no excuse in God's kingdom for not doing the work that he has ordained for you to do. But at the same time, we cannot forget the foundation of what we're working from. Whenever we are working, when we are building something by the instruction of Jesus here on this earth, and that being a temple made out of the people of God, we have to make sure that we're working by the right plans and that we're inspired by the right things as we go along, because otherwise we could build in vain. Isn't that what, isn't that what the, the, the psalmist said? He's like, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. See, we understand that. We're literally actually builders here and also builders within a church. And I can see what happens whenever people are working, especially in God's kingdom, inspired by the wrong things or driven by the wrong things. And so we want to make sure that our foundation is correct. And as I've been meeting with him over these past weeks, he's been making this very clear to me that there was something that I did not expect. I'm looking for zeal. I'm looking for fire. I'm looking for like some huge theophany thing that like God just reveals himself on the earth in a powerful way. You know what I found is the most powerful thing on the face of this planet. More than fire from heaven, more than Elijah calling down fire, more than the wind, more than the land opening up and swallowing up those who are against God, more than anything like that. The most powerful thing on the face of this planet from the Spirit of God is friendship. That one was surprising to me. I've tested this for weeks. I've, I've put it up against many different things, and I'm trying to find out, like, God, this sounds, this, this sounds like people say, like, this is cliche or cheesy or something like that. And you're like, like am, I, am I making myself out to be too much of a tough guy for this? Like, like Lord, what am I missing here? 
And he started to show me that, uh, that by this, we know that completing in action is of utmost importance. But the issue I have is this. How do we get there? How do we produce the works that are according to his desires and fulfill his heart's desire here on the earth? I've been wrestling with the original revelation that he's given me lately. In all these meetings I've had with him over the last few weeks, I have been returning to the original manifestation of his presence and his glory in my life. And I've recalled these things. I've realized I'm driven because when I was not seeking him, hear me, when I was not seeking him, when he showed up, when I was hungry and thirsty for something more and I just couldn't figure it out, he showed up when I did not seek him. He called out whenever I didn't know how to listen for him and I had never heard his voice before. He filled me with his very spirit and nature when no man was there to lay hands on me or to call me up. He restored me when I, was, when I had already settled in my life that I would feel desperate and miserable the rest of my life and call myself a Bible-believing Christian all at the same time. I had never heard his voice. I had never met with him face-to-face like that before. I had never been filled with his Holy Spirit, and I hardly believed in the scriptures, but I called myself a church-going, Bible-thumping Christian simply because that's what I was raised in. And he tested me, but he tested me in love. He showed up whenever I was not seeking him. When I did not look for him, he showed up. He came, he showed himself, and he called me by name when I needed him most, and I didn't know that I needed him most. What is that? Isaiah 65.1, this Broke my heart this week. says, I made myself accessible to those who did not ask for me. I let myself be found by those who didn't seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am to a nation not called by my name. To a nation not called by my name. He said, I'm right here. I spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who live in a way that is not good, who follow their own inclinations. And for some reason, we have a list of pre-qualifications in our minds for meeting him. Thursday night was beautiful. That was what happened whenever people just, whenever we, every one of us in the room just said, I'm giving up this. Like, woe is me, and I don't deserve to be here thing. I'm just going to come meet with you, Jesus, and I'm bringing all my junk with me. I'm bringing my dirty feet with me from the last couple weeks or months, and you're just going to have to show me how you deal with this because I'm tired of giving some half-hearted, powerless intercession for people because the joy of my salvation isn't even where I want it to be. We... And because we have pre-qualifications for ourselves, then we apply those same pre-qualifications to others. To the point that our religion of pre-qualification is more contagious than the affection we first received when we were far off. Did you forget where you were when he first lavished himself on you? I've forgotten. I'm going to be transparent with you right now. I've forgotten, and the proof of it is that I started operating in some other state of religion other than the fact that whenever I was not loving him, when I was not near to him, he came near to me. 
Did you forget where you were when he first lavished himself on you? Did you forget that you were far off before you were near? (laughs) Did you forget that you were near before you started feeling far off again, distancing yourself? God, I'm not worthy. Wrong. God, I'm not good enough. Wrong. We say these things as we quote Psalm chapter 24. I can't ascend the hill of the Lord because my hands aren't clean enough. Right? Maybe that's misunderstood. Matthew 5.29 says, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of those parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So either you're a bad Christian for having all your limbs, or it's a possibility that you and I don't always understand what he's really saying. The same kind of shame I see on people is more indicative of the first, though, that we think that we are bad Christians because we simply don't have the guts to hurt ourselves enough for what we think we deserve as punishment, and then we turn around and apply that system on other people around us. The kind of shame that says, I'm too damned to stand here whole, but too much of a coward to pull my eye out and rip my arm off. So I'll sit here in confusion and chaos until someone comes and shouts at me enough to make me say I'm sorry to God for desecrating my self-righteous slavery to him. How about a better way? This message has a so much happier tone on the rest of it. I promise. We're talking about friendship today, but we have to make sure and give the distinction for the kind of religion that we really can bring into something that was totally about friendship from the start. Today, he's going to prove to you that friendship is in no way inferior to sin-conscious driven religion. Friendship is in no way inferior to sin-conscious driven religion. We know these things here in this church. We've taught and we've preached on these things time and time again. But something in our hearts says, no, my sin is greater than the friendship that you showed up with Jesus. Therefore, I cannot come back into a day-to-day friendship with you because of what I've done. That didn't scare him the first time. What makes you think it's going to scare him the second time? We have to acknowledge the power of his love, the power of his friendship, the power of his compassion that showed up in the first place and understand that he does not change from day to day. He is not fickle. He does not change with the seasons. He is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow, and that love has not changed. And so we don't get to change the system of how he operates in our lives or for other people around us simply because we feel like we've stepped into a degree of self-righteousness that all of a sudden it's not about his love anymore, it's about how hard everybody works and gets stuff done. Works come. Let me tell you, I will never be the guy that says you don't have to do any work in God's kingdom. I will never, ever, ever be that guy. At the same time, we got to make sure that the first things are first. Amen? Are you following with me? Okay. We're, we're in John 15 now. I know you've been waiting patiently. John 15, look at verse 12. It says that this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's a great first line for figuring out what it means to be friends with someone. 
It looks like you're going to have to be friends with, you're going to have to encounter his love before you turn around and you're able to love somebody else. We'll get to that later though. Greater love has no one than this, that one may lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends when you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you my friends, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Let that settle in. The the inferiority of friendship is going to be resolved today because he has appointed. It means set us apart or sowed us unto fruitfulness in which fruit abides forever. I want to start with giving a bit of context to this moment. In John 15, the place that he's in is at the Passover dinner known to us as the Last Supper in someone's home with the, with the disciples. The time is within 48 hours of his crucifixion where only one of those people that he calls a friend actually shows up. Interesting. He called them his friends and he knew who would show up and wouldn't show up. That's called prophetic friendship. Again, we'll get to that later. These details make John 15, 16, and 17 the final conversations, blessings, and intercession before Yeshua's crucifixion in the presence of his friends. If you were standing with him, put yourself in this position. If you were standing with him and he clearly has a certain desperation in his eyes and you can feel his desperation for you to receive what he's saying and he says, you are not an anecdotal addition to my ministry. You are my friend. Get that. You are not the guy who plays a guitar, who plays a piano, who cuts the grass, who bakes baked goods. Thank you, Aaron. It's amazing all the time. These are all great things that we're able to come and do together. But it's not the point. It's not the point whenever we make the wrong thing the central point, then we miss out on what Jesus designed to be the central point. And it was that, You are not an anecdotal addition to what's going on here. You are what's going on here. You're not helping what's going on here. You are what's going on here. Your family, your salvation, the manifestation of his glory in your life is what's going on in this land. And you have to remove yourself from the idea that you are anything less than friends with Messiah Yeshua. If you're anything less, then you have a degree less of whatever he had. So we can say, I got the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And da 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 da. We can say all of these things theologically. But if you do not relate with him correctly, then you can just talk about him theoretically, theologically, but not experientially. You ever met somebody like... 
I'm not, I'm not really one to use sports analogies or examples in church on Sunday, but one time I met Adrian Peterson in person. I don't know if y'all know who that is. He's this huge, monstrous running back, right? And so you can hear somebody talk about football players, right? And they'll say, oh man, that guy's huge. I met him and whenever I shook his hand, his hand like swallowed my, you ever have those, you ever heard that from people? You're like, oh, I met that NBA player and his hand was like three times the size of my hand. He's a total Nephilim. And... <laughs> You can, you can hear that from people, or you can hear people say, dude, I was watching him on TV, and it looks like this. It seems like that, right? But you don't know anything. I'm telling you, I, I remember as a little kid watching football with my dad on Saturday mornings and, and at lunchtime, watching the Oklahoma Sooners games, and Adrian Peterson is bulldozing people down that field, dude. Like, they don't stand a chance. He trucking everybody out there. But then whenever I met that dude in person as like a 16-year-old, I was like, holy, holy crap. I, I understand why everyone was scared of you, right? Like, you're huge. Like, I would not step in front of you either. But the, the reality is, is that there's one type of way that someone can talk about someone whenever they've never met them, they've never spent time with them, and blah, blah. And you could hear a lot of people write articles and say things and have opinions and post videos and have commentary and reviews and people can say all sorts of stuff but until they come and experience who Jesus is dude it's all hearsay everything's hearsay until you meet Jesus everything is hearsay until you meet Jesus because you can sit here and listen to me talk about how much I love him and how near to him I've been these last few weeks. But if you are not meeting with him, it's irrelevant to you. What is the point of the ministry of my life or any other fivefold minister, equipper, or equipped in this church? What is the point of it if you are transitioning to another person anything other than friendship? Everything else is, becomes fake because you are setting them up for a lifestyle of performing for people, trying to show, I'm a zealous, I'm a hyped up Christian, I'm fiery. Like, yeah, when's the last time you spoke with them face to face because your inspiration is going to go out in a couple months whenever you get disappointed again. You can sit here and scream at a microphone at me all day, dude. I am not convinced unless I can see that you have been with him. And I can see the difference most of the time between people who are with him and people who it's been two years since they've been with him. Religion has made some of the most important words of Jesus to be cliche. This really is one of the biggest issues today. Jesus says, you're my friend. You say, yeah, I hear you, but no, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Nope. Nope. Stop it. Not allowed. A religion that makes friendship with God inferior to servanthood or even sonship. Now, this might be the part where we get upset theologically. I was challenged this week, too. I'm just going to give you all a heads up. A religion that makes friendship with God inferior to servanthood or even sonship is one that leaves you standing outside the tent while you watch other men like Moses go in the tent and be with him like friends. It's a religion that leaves you at the base of the mountain because Yahweh knows, Yahweh knows, he has not a friend among the people like Moses. 
Do you really think that God wanted nobody else in Israel to come and be with him? What kind of, what kind of theology is that? A God who clearly, by way of Yeshua, the whole time wanted people to be intimate with him and to meet with him. And for some reason, we have this bipolar God that says, I don't like any of you. I know I just delivered you out of slavery, but I don't actually like any of you. I never wanted you to come and meet with me in the first place, but I'll take Moses. It's ridiculous. But God knew who actually desired to be a friend of his. Just like in my life. Israel was delivered out of slavery, but their response was, I'll be a servant to you, but I won't be a friend to you because that's scary to me. Moses said, it's scary to me, but I love you so much. I, I would rather be scared in your presence and experience your power than sit another comfortable day as a slave out of Egypt. For the wealthy young ruler, it was the religion that says, what must I do to be considered righteous by you? That's a question you can have, a, that's a question you can have in your mind sometimes, huh? God, what can I do to make you happy enough that whenever I pray next time, you'll give me what I'm asking for? Instead, that rich young ruler should have said, I'll drop anything to lay in the dirt with you like Peter, James, and John do. I don't care what it costs. It's not a question. I'm telling you, you say the word and it's done because I want to be right there in the dirt with you like Peter, James, and John. I don't want anything less than that. But he was willing to settle for, what can I do so that even though you're going to walk away out of my town tomorrow, I just get a word from you that you see me as righteous. Wow, we can prioritize righteousness over friendship with Jesus. I can tell you, if you're friends with Jesus, you will be permanently righteous the rest of your life. But if you just submit yourself to the religion that says, you tell me what to do and I'll do it so that I can be considered righteous, then you will wax and wane and flip and flop the rest of your life until you figure out that he just wanted you to come and be with him the whole time. For Nicodemus, it was the religion that had him meeting with Jesus in secrecy of night to negotiate legal terms instead of saying, I don't care who sees me with you. I'd rather be hated by every single person in my city who thinks they have it right in exchange for lounging with the one who they all are debating about. Dude, people can say whatever they want. When you love him this much, people can call you whatever they want. And it does not faze you. If someone called me an idiot for love and kindle, they'd be wrong. And we'd all know that just like people say we're idiots for loving Jesus. Right? But I'd be like, dude, when did, when did I ask for your opinion? That's my wife. I don't care if any, I don't, I don't actually want any of you to like her. Only I want to like her. Like, I don't even, I don't care if you like her. I don't care if you like me for liking her. See if I care. That's what happens when you are so enamored with the one standing in front of you that the noise in the room just does not matter anymore. This is why anxiety and fear regarding people's opinions and your faith at the same time is borderline blasphemy. It might actually be blasphemy. 
You're saying at the same time, Jesus, I am reciprocating a love to you that you had for me, where you were willing to be considered the scum of the earth because you had such a love for me, and I'm embarrassed what somebody says about me. I'm embarrassed what my family thinks. I'm embarrassed what my in-laws think. I'm embarrassed what people in the city said. I'm embarrassed. Stop it. You need to find friendship with Jesus. Friends, let me tell you, Jesus' presence was no more real then than it is today. Get that out of your head. He said it was better that he go. And it's either he's, he's either a truther or a liar. <laughs> Decide today. What is it? He said it's better that he go. There was no more real presence of Jesus then than, it, than there is today. You are getting the real thing by way of Holy Spirit today. So ask yourself, do my ideas of serving him inhibit my ability to be friends with him? Because there's a kind of friendship that Jesus shows us. You'll start turning a few pages back to John 13. There's a kind of friendship that Jesus expresses that does not inhibit certain being serving and a kind of servanthood that does not inhibit friendship and that's the kind that we got to pick up look at john 13 verse 5 this is at the passover dinner just like what we were saying earlier verse 5 says then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand yet, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, for he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Oh, there is so much in this. Y'all are going to be so excited when you hear it. Simon Peter first was shocked at Jesus' posture. Making him, Jesus making himself to be a servant, dressed like one. It said, it said before verse 5 that he took off his outer garments and he wrapped them around his waist. Yahweh incarnate is disrobing himself and exposing his naked body even before crucifixion in a moment of getting down and looking like a dirty slave before his those that he is about to call his friends he is showing them friendship before he calls them friends because he doesn't want them to be confused what he's talking about jesus is dressed like one he's doing the work of one and he's postured like one simon peter then denies jesus's desire to wash his feet but when jesus responds he says if i do not you will have no portion or no meros with me this is the same word that we've been using during our inheritance messages of meros your portion or your destiny within within inheritance 
He said, you will have no destiny with me, Peter. You, you and I will not be tethered together for all the days of your life in this age and for all of eternity unless you let me wash your feet. Unless you let me show you what friendship is really about, you'll have no part with me. You know why I know it's about friendship and it's not about cleanliness? Because Peter says, then wash my whole body, make sure I am perfectly clean. And Jesus said, it's not about cleanliness. It's about you receiving this love from me. If it was about cleanliness, Jesus would have gone in with a toothbrush and scrubbed every square centimeter of his disciples' bodies and said, don't ever go outside and get in the dirt again. He said, no, I'm going to have to wash your feet all the time. I'm doing it in the physical now so that it makes sense to you in the future that when you come back to me feeling like a filthy slave, you're going to remember the day I first washed your feet. When you didn't feel like you deserved it and I told you that unless you let me do this, you'll have no part with me because you'll miss the whole point of my kingdom. It's not about cleanliness. It's not about acts of service. It's about friendship. Jesus says that unless you let me show you my friendship, you will not be found with me and in me. A servant does the work that he must do, friends. He must, a servant does the work that he must do in exchange for earnings of provision, money, or a retained position in the master's house. I'm going to do the work of, of a slave, Jesus, so that I can retain my position in your house. I promise, Jesus, I'll be the hardest worker. I'll be the hardest worker if you just let me maintain my position in your house. But a friend, a friend says, I don't care what you walked through today. I can't stand another moment of seeing that dung and mud on your feet. And I can't help but wash your feet. Let me tell you, when people are washing feet together and someone's having a hard time washing other people's feet, it's not a, it's not a germ issue. They might say it's a germ issue, but it ain't a germ issue. That's a love issue. Miss Cassidy, whenever your babies Use the restroom inside their diapers. It might be gross, but do you leave them in the state that they're in? Absolutely not. It might be gross, but you say, I love you so much, I cannot stand you smelling like that. Jesus, like I got to help you right now. Like this is what, this is what love this is what friendship looks like. And it doesn't mean that Cassidy's babies reciprocate friendship really well. Jesus called these guys his friends and then they ditched on him the next day. So it doesn't even matter about reciprocation. You can prophetically befriend someone so that there's a love in that relationship that goes beyond blood and genetics or creeds or denominations, or anything like that. There is a love that you can have that you only learn from him. That says, I don't care if you screw me over for the next year. You're my friend. That's what Devin Hutchinson did for me. I'm going to cry now. Listen today, he wants to wash your feet. 
He knew that Peter would abandon him at the time of his crucifixion. He washed his feet. He knew Peter felt entirely inferior and unworthy. He washed his feet. But he also knew that when he rose, when he rose, he would call out to Peter one more time. One more time, because I don't care where you walked to when I was crucified. I say that you're my friend, and I won't stop coming after you. Come on, somebody's got that revelation recently. I thought he just ditched me whenever I walked away from him. But he keeps on showing up and harassing me. That's because he's a real friend. Why do we think that we could possibly be better friends to each other than Jesus is to us? I'm about to show you later on, but in the Greek, it's literally impossible. In the Greek language, there's not, there's not room in the Greek language to differentiate love and friendship, but we'll get there. What is it then? Is our friendship with him a hindrance to our obedience? Absolutely not. Is his friendship with us a stumbling block? Dang straight it is. Stumbling right out of cold, dead religion into a love you never thought existed. The issue then is not friendship, it's our understanding of what friendship is. Friendship with Jesus is not the issue, it's what you think friendship is, and then applying that to friendship with Jesus, that is the issue. You know how I know that? Because we are better than most people at being friends with each other, but we got a long ways to go. I'm not really here to compare us against the rest of the world. I'm trying to look at Jesus and let us all go after Jesus' model. Yeah. Word. Word. The issue then is not friendship because I've heard people say, well, whenever you preach or you think like that or your theology is like that, then people that just think that Jesus is a little buddy and that he's like just to be like played around with. No, that's because they understand friendship incorrectly. Friendship is not the issue. Your understanding of friendship is the issue. Let me show you. James chapter 4, verse 4. You guys have that one? Hallelujah. James chapter 4, verse 4. says, you adulterous people. Ouch, James. You adulterers. Adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship, oh, whoa, what? You adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Hmm. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose Oh, I love this. That the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. He's like, I put that deposit in there and I'm coming for you. Like, you ain't running off with that. James calls friendship with any other adultery. Hmm. Listen, one of the men who sat in the room and experienced that friendship in John 15 says, do not befriend the world. We make this so much <clears throat> out to be like, don't like the stuff in the world and don't be materialistic and don't like watch too much football and don't not, like, 
Okay, we can have discussions about all those things. It's just not the point. It's just not the point. Friendship with the world. Interesting. Interesting. Because in Matthew 11, you guys don't have this one. You don't have to look for it. In Matthew 11, it says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he had a demon. The son of man, Yeshua, came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Y'all need to listen today. If you do not understand friendship correctly, then when you befriend the world, it will absolutely be more contagious than you. But if you actually have a friendship with Jesus, and you actually are carrying with him not just his scriptures in your head, but his very presence because you've been spending so much time with him, then whenever you go to be friends with the world, what you have is more contagious than what they have. James says, do not befriend the world. I need y'all to understand what he is saying when he says that, though, because that does not mean that you get to act like a, <clears throat> a jerk to people out there, out there, out there in the ether of decimation that somehow you didn't come out of yourself. Please. Listen, this guy sat in the room in John 15. He says this because James knows the power of the friendship that was in the room that day. It's not about legalism. It's not about do's or don'ts, taste or touch, and da, 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 none of that. He says, if only you knew what it was like to sit in there with him and watch him undress himself to wash our feet that day, then you would think it's adultery too if you traded him to go be friends with the world. If you experience that kind of love, and if you have really experienced that by way of his Holy Spirit and not in the physical, then you would consider it adultery too whenever you went and befriended the world instead of him. Wow. So it's not James being a jerk and being a legalist and going around and smacking people with his Torah saying that if you break the rules, then you're a friend of the world and you hate God. He's saying your issues in your life are actually a representation that you are not friends with him the way that you think you're friends with him. In our English language, we give room, and especially in our American culture, we have room in our language for calling someone a friend and it actually meaning nothing at all. It means nothing. Y'all ever heard about how there are three words for love in the Greek, right? You have eros, and you have uh, philia, and you have um, agape. The word for the word for friend in Greek is phila. It means lover. That means if I'm calling Pastor Landon my friend. <laughs> she. 
If I'm calling Pastor Mike Moran. Hey, that's the Greek. Hallelujah. <laughs> Do you see how there's not room for calling someone in the Greek a friend and then also hating them at the same time? But because our word in English is friend, and the word friend etymologically has nothing to do with love or affection or anything like that. It's just a word, friend. You could say, yeah, I'm, you're my friend, and it means nothing. In the Greek and in the Hebrew, you cannot do it. Because you know where the word in Hebrew for friend comes from? It's the word rea. And the word rea comes from the word ra'ah, which, which is the verb to feed sheep like a shepherd feeds his sheep to be sustained by the goodness that comes from a relationship it is being it is feeding someone so to be friends with someone is to sustain and to feed and to nurture and to care for someone there is no room in either of these languages for calling someone a friend and being abusive at the same time it doesn't mean you don't have bad days. It doesn't mean that you hurt people, don't hurt people's feelings occasionally. It just means that you will always return back to what you know is right. And you won't be found sitting in the floor of a prayer meeting wondering how on earth you got back into another week of sin in your private life and you're trying to decide whether or not you can come back to meet with him again. You say, no, I'm a friend of Jesus. And I know that I did something that I'm not proud of. But that makes me want to go find him more. I'm telling you, I've never had friends in my life like how I've had friends today. I've never, ever had friendships in my life like how, what I have today. I've had so many fake church people in my life my entire life. And every one of them, even if it took a decade, ended up abandoning ship. All the Longview people say, what? I'm talking decade-long friends that actually turned out that they were slandering the whole time, complaining, but then showing up every Sunday because they wanted to feed on the friendship that some people were willing to give them, but they weren't willing to reciprocate it. They'd just go home and slander and then leave 10 years later after divorce. Wow. Feels like we have some room for, to grow in friendship in the church today, huh? There's a bunch of shallow relationships, y'all. There's so many shallow relationships in the church today. And it's because it is a direct reflection of your relationship with Jesus. I'm going to walk you through that. To finish up John 13, it says, let, let, just let me put it to you this way. Which one of the disciples in the room would turn against him? Judas. We all know that. Jesus said, all of you are clean except for one. Whoa. So he is washing actively their feet. And he looks to Peter and says, don't worry about cleanliness. I declare you're already clean. But he says, all of you but one. All of them were baptized. Oh, yeah, this is going to mess you all up. Judas, being the betrayer, shows us that, in fact, friendship with Jesus is the ultimate goal. Judas portrayed a Talmudim lifestyle. Oh, that hurts. He had a calling. He was working for the ministry. He even 
proclaimed the gospel. Yet he betrays Jesus, not because he changed his mind on whether or not he was Messiah, but because his friendship with the world was never traded for the perfect friendship with Messiah Yeshua. This will make you change your life whenever it comes to prayer, won't it? You can go praying about my calling and my purpose and my future spouse and my maturity and my strength. God, make me strong. Availability for men. I just want to be more available for ministry, Lord. Take my job away from me. Just make me. Just take it away. I'm mocking myself right now. Don't get offended. Don't get offended with me. I don't have time for that. Lord Jesus. Or even proximity with Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. You know, you can be in Jesus' presence and betray him to his face over and over again. Judas proved it. Like, oh, well, I go to a church where the presence of God is so strong. (laughs) See if I care. You know where the presence of God was strong at? In the heavenly places. And you know what happened? A third of the celestial beings said, forget you. We want our own authority. We don't want to be friends with you. We want our own. Don't tell me that your church is full of the presence of God that does not make you a friend of Jesus. And that includes you here in this church. Do not apply that to somebody else in this city. I did, they did, Jesus did not make me their pastor. I'm talking to us in this room. It's determined then. None of these things will satisfy. Calling, purpose, maturity, strength, availability with ministry, knowledge of the scriptures, proximity with Jesus. None of these things will satisfy. We must be called a friend of Jesus. And many people may say that this is one of those tacky messages to make Jesus palatable to the masses, blah, blah, blah. Our point is proven here, though, in James chapter 2. Do you all have that one? Yes, we do. Hallelujah. Y'all are on top of it. Or really, Pastor Devin and then now you guys. James chapter 2. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe. Sorry. And shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow? That faith without works is useless. I love the NASB 95. It like, it like hits you, but it's like fellow. <laughs> Clearly, this is where I get my pastoring style from. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the, scriptures, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And what's next? And he was called the friend of God. When no one else on the earth was a friend of God, he was the friend of God. I'm telling you, it takes one friend of God to change the whole world. The seed of Abraham goes on to be the seed that, that leads to a family line of a Davidic line and then a Messianic line. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he is a product of one man being a friend of God and starting the whole process. All it took was one. There were plenty who knew him. There were plenty who had witnessed his spirit. There were plenty of those who had walked with him in a garden. Clearly, proximity does not entirely matter. You can be around spirit-filled people and still be a 
butthead at the end of the day. And this is where the fascination in God's pursuit of friendship with men who love him starts to set in for me. He asked Abraham to do something entirely out of God's own nature, to sacrifice a son. It is not in God's nature to ask someone for child sacrifice. If you, can go, like, you can go read Torah. You can read your entire Bible. It's illegal in every form and fashion, like legally. Constitutionally, it's against the law to sacrifice your child. And to what extent would God like that form of interaction with mankind? So what is it? Here in James, it says demons believe that he brings peace more than some of us in this room. Demons believe that he brings peace more than some of you in this room. Funny, just like Jesus said, your righteousness must exceed that of the most self-righteous men that he knew. His apostle James is also saying that if your mental belief in who he says he is doesn't produce a longing friendship for him like Abraham, then your faith is no good here. These things are much more simple than we've made them out to be. When he shows, when he shows up, we interact. Then, when we learn how to show up ourselves and say, Hey, I'm coming over, Jesus. I've been thinking about you all day, and now I finally, just to get, uh, now I finally get to be with you and our friends. Then we get to grow in friendship with him. We manifest his presence, his nature, his desires, his mission, his gifts, his fruits, his reconciliation, his redemption, his kindness, and his authority as we're working towards as we're working towards a conclusion today, church, listen to this. We will, you, will, you will represent on the earth. You will live out a calling that he has for you. You will hear from him everything you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to do it, what it's going to look like, and all that kind of stuff. All of those things will be in order if you have this first. Otherwise, you will never be satisfied with being where you're at, and you will be squirming for satisfaction, as Pastor Landon taught you weeks ago, you will be squirming to be satisfied while being in the healthiest church I've ever been in in my life. It's just proof to us, right? You can be friends with me all you want. You're probably not a very good friend if you're not close friends with Jesus. Just saying. But you can be friends with me all you want. If you're not friends with him, you will be dissatisfied the rest of your life. And even worse, you'll work to try to impress me the rest of your life or impress another pastor or impress spouse or impress somebody else the rest of your life. You'll be so desperate to be approved of by other people because you are not satisfied in your friendship with him. We hear a lot about, well, like, I'm hearing lies and I'm hearing things spoken to me and I'm believing them. It's because you don't get enough of his voice. You're like, oh, I just believe this lie. Like, yeah, but we've been over this 500,000 times at this point. I'm telling you, this is a communion issue. This is a friendship issue. It's not a 
belief issue. Because every one of us can walk in this room and sing the same songs at Jesus every single Sunday and Tuesday and Thursday. And we can meet up together. We can sing out by the fire in the fall and winter time. We can sit here in the AC and do it in the summertime. You can do it here. You can do it at the Barnett Estates venue. You can do it at the city square. You can go wherever you want. But until, your until you have that friendship with him, you can sing about it. You can hear about it in the teaching. You can write notes about it in your notebook all you want, and you will not be satisfied. Can you all put up the Proverbs slide that we have? Yes, sir. It should be 18 and 17. Uh, it's one at a time. That's okay. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Whoa! Brotherhood, sonship, just got put like one step under friendship. There is a friend who is closer than a brother. I know this because I, for the years that I've been in God's kingdom, I can call someone a brother and not like them at all. Like, we have the same father. It is Yahweh. That is undeniable. You believe in him. I believe in him. But... This thing, it ain't working. Like, we're not friends. I love you because I kind of have to, but you're not my favorite person. Like, just being honest. Like, there are plenty of Christians out there that fall in that category for me. Or it's just that God didn't ordain that we have that kind of friendship because a man of too many friends trying to get satisfaction and friendship from everybody in the world will never be satisfied because there is one who is closer than a brother. And then he shows us how to be closer than brothers. You know how I know that? My friendship with you guys has been closer than many relationships that I've had my entire life. Some of them even family members. So one who stuck closer than a brother. One who stuck closer than a family member. Because listen to this. In Proverbs 17, 17, it says, A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. That just limited to an extent what all brotherhood can accomplish without friendship. You can be a brother and a friend, in which case you're there in adversity and love at all times. Or you can just only be a brother. There are plenty of men in my life who show up when things get hard and they help me. And I love them for it. But the kind of like daily communion of friendship... That like where we are in tune with each other every single day. It's not because of a disliking thing even at that point. It's just a lack of daily relationship. Where we can be friends in the sense that when we show up we pick right up where we left off. But it's also because we have a familial thing in the kingdom. Where we have such a love for each other. That it, the miles don't matter. And at the same time. Jesus has called many men and women across this planet to be family with me. But you guys in this room are the ones who I show my friendship to every day. You are the ones that Jesus told me to show my friendship to, show his friendship to, rather. And then we reciprocate it. That cannot be replaced with ethereal fl floating around like Abel who was damned to be a wanderer the rest of his life. How many charismatics do we have wandering around the world, never satisfied, 
running around with shallow relationships and they get the kingdom, they get family, they preach words like brother and sister and father and mother and son and daughter, but they don't understand friendship. We can understand kingdom family and still miss friendship. Besides having a th theology um, that makes friendship inferior to sonship, brotherhood, and worst of all, servanthood, our next greatest issue is that we don't know how to be good friends. 1 John chapter 4. Got that one too? 17. Y'all say friendship when you get there. I'm sorry, I'm not a very good interactive pastor. Wow, nobody said friendship when they got there. Hallelujah. But this is love perfected with us. But this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, also are we in this world. That can get really confusing really fast. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love why or how? Because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. That's okay. Don't worry about slides. I don't need them. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. In order to get this friendship with one another thing in order, we're going to have to be found as friends of his. If we're going to love one another, which Jesus says is the primary way of showing the creation that we are his, we're going to have to be able to love him first. For who can love a person who has the capacity to hurt them more easily than, I, than to love a God who was perfect and first showed them love? Right? Like with other people, you have to pursue a relationship, right? Like, like I saw Kendall and I was like, Whew. but I had to go and make myself known. I didn't know how it was, she was going to respond. But with Jesus, I knew exactly how he was going to respond because he was the one who showed up first. He loved me first, so I already know how he's going to respond. That is an easy relationship to walk in. It gets more difficult whenever you don't know how somebody's going to treat you or if you extend friendship and you don't know if they're going to hurt you in the years to come. It's interesting that Jesus' friendship was declared regardless of the hurt that would come. For who can love a person who has the capacity to hurt them more easily than to love a God who was perfect and first showed them love? Therefore, our love for one another, our friendship, will always be trailing behind in tow to the love that we have for him. And the love we have for him is the exact same love that we have for ourselves. 
For Jesus said in Matthew 22, he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's funny. Jesus also said to love your brother with the same love that I've loved you. I don't, I don't mean to get too mathematical in here, but uh, you can see the meme with the chalkboard behind me. <laughs> Like going like that. That's what I feel like right now. He said, I need to love John Engelbrecht the way that he has loved me. But then he says that I don't know how to love unless I experience his love first. And then he says that I have to love him like I love myself. But he also said that I have to love him like how Jesus loves me. So that means I am going to have to love myself. Which means your self-deprecation is probably the reason you have a really hard time with friendship. You think it's humble. You think it's humble. You think it's humble. It's not. It's not humble. It's not humility. Self-deprecation. Come on, Katie. Come on. It's not humble. I am your friend. I'm your friend. I do not want to listen to you talk junk about yourself. It does not make me feel greater when you're like, oh, brother, like, you're so good at that. I'm terrible at that. It does not encourage me when you say I'm good at something because you are terrible at something. It means that you're probably not a very good friend. Because you're saying, I think you're good at it because I'm bad at it, number one. Number two, you have the idea that you have to self-deprecate in order to encourage somebody else. It doesn't mix. You have to love one another. You have to love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. And you have to love other people with the love that he loved you with. And you know love because he loved you first. You see how this thing is working? I'm telling you, I am that chalkboard meme all day today. Then, therefore, the pattern is this. He loved us while we were yet wicked and far off. We receive his love and are brought near. We continue to receive his love and therefore learn how to love rightly. We, knowing the love he has for us, then cannot help but lavish this same love on others. If you have an issue loving your enemies, then you have a love relationship with Jesus issue. Because you have to understand the redemption that he had in mind when he loved you when you still hated him. We, knowing the love he has for us, then cannot help but lavish the same love on others. When we do this, we produce friendships that reflect the very nature of the friendship that we have with him. Because you can have a brother by way of a father, same father, so that makes you my brother, but the title friend is reserved for the one you love and do nothing but love. One can hate his brother, but one cannot hate his friend. Like I said, in the English, there's room for it. In the Greek and Hebrew, there's not. Pastor Devin just preached to you about a brother who killed his brother. Brothers can kill each other. Friends don't kill each other. Because 
it's a it's a positional the brother is a positional thing it's like that we share a common father okay that's great but that doesn't say necessarily anything about us we can have a common father and i not like you at all i i love you a lot now <laughs> my sister ashlyn's one of my best friends in my life right now that was not the case before jesus but all of a sudden it clicked in fact, my relationship with her was the first witness to my family that I was not a heretic from the, from the encounter that I had with Jesus. They said, we have never seen you love her like that. And I had tears in my eyes saying, Mom, if you would have seen the way that Ashlyn was meeting Jesus the other night, you would not be saying these. Nobody would be saying these things. Not you. My mom was not doing that. But people would not be saying the things that they're saying. And she's like, you're right. I've never seen you love her like that. I'm like, there's the evidence right there. In Greek and Hebrew, both the words for friend are nouns taken from verbs that express a showing of love, affection, devotion, and endearment. In the Greek, it's philos, as we said, from philio, which is to have an affectionate familial love, even outside of familial re relation. Phileo, to love somebody like family, even though they might not be related as family. In the Hebrew, it's reya from ra'ah, to feed or to give nourishment like a shepherd does to a sheep or a man to his neighbor in a time of need. When Jesus says that the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, he uses the word neighbor because in Hebrew, that's the word for friend. You ever wondered why he used that word? Because the word, the word reya is interchangeable for one who you love and you have a sustaining relationship with and a person who lives near to you. They say if you live near each other, then of course you have a bilateral relationship where you are loving and fulfilling each other's lives and taking care of each other. That's the Hebraic mindset. The Greek mindset says you cannot call someone a friend without calling them a lover. The Greek language doesn't give you room for it. So I can call you my brother, but, but, not a, but not one whom I love. Interesting. The world is going to be changed by you all in this room. It won't be by your study habits, your ability to control your fleshly desires for a week at a time, or to muscle your way into producing so-called fruit. His promise when he called us friends was that he has appointed us, set us apart for the purpose of bearing fruit and fruit that abides. My promise to you today is that you will never bear fruit with life in it if it didn't come from intimacy with him. You can, you can have all the right ingredients to produce that offspring. We're getting PG-13 here. But until you get close enough, that fruit, that fruit ain't happening. And unless you're unified in love, it's not going to abide in your house with you for all the days of your life. If you as mom and dad are not unified in love towards that fruit, how your children relate with you will change. Right? We see that today all over the place. Fatherlessness and divorce are at their highest levels than ever before. But this was 
Jesus' promise that all intimacy can produce fruit, but being a lover with Jesus, a fila with Jesus, that fruit, it lasts forever because the seed of his love does not perish, but redeems every heart that so lets it in. I want to challenge you with this today. We're coming to a close here. I want to challenge you with this today. Drop all thoughts of what you think your calling is. In this church, out of this church, in another nation, da, 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 okay. You focus every part of your life on being found as a philos of Yeshua, a Rhea of Yeshua, and I promise you, you will find out everything that you need to know. And you won't have to have somebody tell you who you are. You'll get to find out from Jesus yourself who you are and what he wants you to do. Then you're not looking for us to come and read the stars for you. Here's a hint to send you on the way. Can y'all stand up with me? We're going to pray and close out and have an awesome time of fellowshipping as friends together. John Engelbrecht walked in the other day. He's like, hey, best friend. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I know I'm having to improve in friendship because that was awkward. <laughs> he meant it, and I was weirded out. And we're best friends. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> we're just working it out. Here's a hint to send you on, on your way. Real friends don't use each other to find purpose. They find purpose in being together, and all the details are worked out along the way. Amen. Do not try to befriend Jesus so that dot, 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 so that I can have peace, so that I can have purpose, so that I can da, da, just be friends with Jesus. If you came to me and you told me I'm going to be friends with you so that I can get this out of you, I'd be like, what she said. I just can't say it on the recording. <laughs> I get in trouble. Get in trouble with Pastor Mike for that stuff. We have to be able to go and pursue friendship with him starting today and it not be predicated with so that I then get this. So that then I receive this. So that then this will work out in my favor or anything like that. Just be friends with him and he will speak to you and he will spend time with you. He will comfort you in your times of need. He will encourage you when you're broken down and you don't feel good enough. And you'll be able to hear him, his voice restoring you back to friendship whenever you feel like you've fallen out of it because you have an existing friendship. Let me tell you all something. This week I was talking to Dylan Hutchinson about some of these things, about what was going on in my heart. And I told him, dude. I'm finding out that the greatest way that we minister as a church to people is bringing them into friendship with Jesus regardless of where they're at. Because Jesus wasn't intimidated by people's junk in the first place. And I said, as I was telling Dylan, man, God's revealing to me right now that I can go and preach about him, but unless I'm bringing them into friendship, like bringing them physically into friendship with him, then my, the ministry of my life 
it's, it's almost irrelevant. It's like I'm reading a textbook and telling you about him instead of just going and spending time with him together. Said so, so then what does that mean? That means that Joshua is able to have the authority that he has in his, in, because of his relationship with Yahweh because Moses said, I'm friends with him. It's not said of you that you're friends with him. It's said that I'm friends with him, but I'm taking you with me. And who lingered afterwards? And Joshua lingered afterwards. And we had one of the best examples ever in that Dylan and I went and had lunch with a friend. And we're sitting at the table, and all of a sudden, a friendship is occurring because of the friendship that he had with somebody. And I'm having a friendship develop right there before my eyes. I'm like, that was fast. It took all of 30 seconds. 30 seconds. I'm like, whoa, there is a relationship here now. But it's because of the intercession that comes from Dylan. Do you understand what prayerful intercession is now? It's talking with the one you know on behalf of those who do not know him. And then bringing them into it. So that then all can be called a friend of God. Friendship does not, real friends do not use each other to find purpose. They have purpose in their friendship. And they live out God's calling all together as the Lord speaks to them. I love you guys. And we're going to learn how to be better friends with each other as we grow in our friendship with him. I appreciate every way that you guys have been friends with me. And some of you have been so gracious to me because this is new revelation to me and I have been mean and critical and cranky and a poor friend in so many ways. I promise you, he's teaching me how to be a better friend. I want you to learn how to be a better friend with me. And I think that if we all go and pursue a friendship with him, then over time, we will have the actual witness of what Jesus said that whenever they look at you and your phileo, for one another, they will know that you're my people. And then we're going to see a whole city of people come to meet Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeshua, Yeshua, we <laughs> thank you so much for the way that you were willing to take a title of a friend of sinners so that I could be included. And Jesus, I thank you for the way that every single time that I've gone to try and shut down this thing and say, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. You say that you are worthy because I say that you're worthy and everything else is irrelevant. Jesus, I thank you for the way that you pursue friendship with me even whenever I hurt your heart. Even whenever I have done things that disappoint you and I have done things that show that I am not a good friend at all, you keep showing back up and saying, I said you're my friend and I'm not giving up on it. Jesus, we want to be a people here in this room. We will be a people in this room who will be such a friend of yours 
and such a friend of each other that we will not have to strive to be fruitful Christians, but we will fulfill what you prophesied in John 15, Jesus, where you said, I have set you apart and buried you so that you will be fruitful and that your fruit will abide forever. Jesus, we just need your, the seed of your love. We need the seed of your friendship in our hearts. And Lord, together, we're going to see your kingdom manifest here on this earth, and it will be the most fun that we've ever had doing it. It will be the most exciting we've ever, it'll be the most exciting thing we've ever done in our lives. And even when things get difficult, just like our friendships that I have here on earth, Jesus, just like how I can say, man, I'm with my friends, so I'll go through anything. Jesus, I will go through anything as long as I'm friends with you. And I will not lose heart. And I won't have anxiety issues. And I won't have trust issues. And I won't have hearing issues. And I won't have heart issues. I won't have all of these issues, Jesus, whenever I maintain that friendship and just spend time with you. Because in your presence, everything is resolved. And true friendship with you, whenever I actually interact with you, and my works of my life show that I have real friendship with you, Jesus, in those places, everything is resolved. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you're redeeming an entire land that's dead and cold and lifeless and without love by love. That you are redeeming it by friendship. You're redeeming it by phileo. You're redeeming it by people calling each other family and being friends whenever they have no relation with one another. Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you set the model for us and that we don't have to wonder what it looks like to do the work that you've called us to do here in this land. Jesus, we will be fruitful. We will labor in the fields that we have inherited with you and we will do it for your glory, but we will no longer doing it. We will no longer do it considering ourselves to be anything less than a friend of yours. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.